Well, last week we spoke about the difference again between natural sight, uh, earthly sight, and seeing by the Spirit. And we were saying how with natural earthly sight, you can't see past the great lack, but seeing by the Spirit, you can see past the great lack to see the greater provision. And we also saw last week how seeing by the Spirit allows you to be able to speak by the Spirit. And in fact, to speak really from that heavenly realm is to speak words that bring the kingdom of God onto the earth as it is in heaven. We saw from Acts 10, of course, that example of how the Apostle Peter saw into that heavenly realm. He glimpsed into the heavenly realm. He saw into the realm where everything that needs to be cleansed has been cleansed. And the effect of that was quite extraordinary. He then spoke words that the people receiving those words in the house of Cornelius found themselves transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. They were filled with the Spirit and they began to magnify God in a way that only people who see that they're no longer separated from God by their sins can magnify God. Now, in terms of how someone can remain in that revelation, how someone can abide in that revelation, there is a great difference between people under the old covenant and people under the new covenant, between life before the cross and life after the cross. And if you remember in Matthew 11, Jesus compared these two covenants. He began to speak about that. And he said that the greatest prophet under the old covenant, and remember we're thinking about seeing by the Spirit. So to be a prophet really is to be someone who sees by the Spirit. Jesus said the greatest prophet under the old covenant was John the Baptist. And he had good reason to say that. When you think about the life of John, John's mother Elizabeth was a cousin of Jesus' mother, Mary. So John the Baptist had known Jesus uh, since he was a young boy. He knew him by the natural. And yet, John the Baptist was able to stand before Jesus and declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now notice he said, takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say take away the sins of the church or the sins of all those who believe. And so having said that, Jesus is able to say, do you know the least in the kingdom of, of God is greater than even John the Baptist? Now that's an extraordinarily encouraging thing for us to think about. And so how much more should be our experience as New Covenant believers that we, like John the Baptist could, we can look at the appearance of a person or a situation and see right through that appearance to declare the eternal truth about that person or that situation, to declare on the earth as it is in heaven. And we said that we could call that seeing by the Spirit, seeing in the dark. And so today I wanted to look at how is it that believers develop or be trained up with their vision to see in the dark. So whatever we read of the Old Testament, Old Covenant saints and their ability to see by the Spirit, that should encourage us really that as New Covenant believers in Christ, we're able to do that and much more. No wonder the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, well, I desire that you should all speak in tongues, but much more that you should all prophesy, speak by the Spirit. So let's look at another example today of an old covenant saint who is seeing by the Spirit. And let's encourage ourselves as we look at this example that how a man under the old covenant can see and speak by the Spirit should really encourage us that we as believers today holding the Holy Spirit in our lives, filled with the Spirit, are able to do so much more. And so this morning, of course, I want to go to the story of David and Goliath. 
And this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. A wonderful story about a shepherd boy turning up at a battle that's been going on for 40 days and seeing it like nobody has seen it in all of those 40 days and therefore speaking in an entirely different way. Because we said last week, we all can't help saying what we see. That's what we do, whether we like it or not. And so from the moment David turned up on that battlefield, he was saying a completely different thing to what everybody else was saying because he was seeing something totally different. All morning, David's perspective on Goliath was, why hasn't anybody taken this guy down? What's the matter with everybody? Look at him. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. That was the phrase that David used because David knew that circumcision being the sign of the covenant, it meant that for God's people, we have God with us. This guy doesn't have God with him. Why doesn't anybody see that? But of course, all morning, that perspective, that way of seeing was challenged by all of the people around him who effectively kept saying to David, are you blind or what? I mean, look at the size of the guy. It's obvious why no one's gone up against him. So I want to join into one of these conversations in scripture from that chapter. And we're gonna join the conversation that David has with King Saul. Because having gone around all morning saying this extraordinary thing, that this man could be taken down, that this giant was nothing, David, of course, gets promoted more and more up towards King Saul, and eventually he finds himself in the very king's tent. And I think that's significant. I think that when we speak of the Spirit, very often people can't understand what we're saying. They can't see what we're seeing. But God makes a way for those words to be heard. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, you will end up before kings and rulers and being asked to give an account of what you're seeing, praise God. So I'm reading now from 1 Samuel 17 and from verse 32. And here's where David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now that's called common sense. We've been calling that natural vision. You could call it common sense. And the natural earthly-minded church is full of common sense. In other words, wisdom based on natural earthly experience, not a heavenly revelation, only on your experience. And I wanna tell you this morning that most Christians' theology on healing is based on earthly experience. It's based on common sense. Throughout our years of experience, of praying for people, we have seen some people healed, but to be honest, we have seen many, many people not healed. And so from our earthly experience, it stands to reason that God heals some, but he doesn't heal others. Now that's a reasonable and a rational conclusion from our earthly experience. There's only one problem with that. The truth about who the Father is the truth revealed in Christ about the love of the Father for us doesn't fit into a box called reasonable because it is a love outside of our earthly experience. The gospel of grace is a totally unreasonable message. His love, you see, is not a love that looks in our lives and on the basis of our lives decides yes or no for healing. Let me tell you why. His love is a love that decided yes before the foundation of the world. His love, in effect, declares, my answer is yes, because when I give to them, it will be on the basis of my life, my nature, my love, not theirs. 
My answer to them is yes and has always been yes because when I give myself to them, I will be giving myself completely and unconditionally for this one reason, because that is who I am. I cannot be any other way because when I love them, I will die for them and I will give all I have to them. Not when they believe me, I will do it when they're spitting in my face. I will do it when they're rejecting me. I will give my life to them and hold nothing back when they're standing ridiculing me and taunting me. I will not condemn them for that. Rather, my love will say in that moment, you are forgiven because you don't know what you're doing. That is who I am. You see, from heaven's perspective, from the perspective of the finished work, the perspective that sees that Christ has sat down, that sees he has forever established his word, his opinion on our life as worth giving everything he has to. From there, all of heaven can see that all the promises of God for you and I in Christ are yes and amen. For how can the Father who give us Christ withhold anything from us? That's Romans 8:32. You see, in Christ, everything that needs to be given has been given. I'll say that again. In Christ, everything that needs to be given has been given. God does not have a giving problem. We have a receiving problem. Now, from our earthly experience in this world, all the promises of God, they don't look like yes and amen. They sort of pretty much look like yes and but. Now, listen to what Saul said again when he replied to David. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he is a warrior, an experienced warrior from his youth. Now, can you hear what Saul is saying? To David's vision, Saul is saying, yes and but. Because look what Saul speaks of when he replies to David. He speaks about the experience of Goliath and he speaks about the youth of David. But there is not one mention in his statement about the Lord. And that explains why for 40 days, Saul has not gone out himself against Goliath. Because as long as your vision is not on the Lord, but on yourself, there will always be a but. As long as your vision is not on the Lord, but on yourself, there will always be a yes, but. Now listen to David's reply and see where his vision is. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and he will rescue me again from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord will be with you. <laughs> I guess Saul, you see, he can't argue with that testimony. That's the wonderful thing about your testimony. People can't argue against it. You know, the Bible says we overcome Satan by the word of our testimony. So Saul can't argue with David's testimony. So all he says simply is, well, go and the Lord be with you. But you know, that's not a statement of faith. That, that's not really what he's believing in his heart because Saul still can't see. You know, in his heart, I believe, he's already written David off. He's already writing David's obituary, you could see. 
Um, I mean, he's excited about what David sees. Something in Saul is stirred. He, he, uh, he's, he wants to be, you could say, like David himself, but he has been conformed entirely to natural earthly vision by having sat under the taunts of Goliath for 40 days. You know, and that's like many of us, we have been totally conformed to the way of this world, to common sense, because we have sat under it for so long. You know, I would have thought that Saul was deeply impressed by David's courage, but he was convinced in his, whole, in his own mind that he still hadn't a hope. And that's why the very next thing Saul did was to give David some of his armor. He started to add something to what David had said. And that's what people do with the gospel. They say, oh, that gospel of grace, that's far too good. Now, listen, son, you've got to wise up a little bit. There's a little bit more to it than that. And people immediately begin to add something to the vision from the heavenly realm. And the moment you do that, you only dilute from it, you know? David walked around in an arm and he says, I can't go like this. This is just not me. He wasn't walking by vision then. And the gospel is like that. It must not be diluted. It must not be added to by the flesh. We must resist the temptation to add to it something that people need to do as well, because that's like just giving David some of that old natural armor. See, natural wisdom, common sense, it listens to what you're saying and then replies, yes, but, and then proceeds to share with you their own experience of what you're saying, because natural earthly wisdom can't see past the greatness of the lack. To the promises of God, natural vision can only say, yes, but. But you know what? Only the vision that comes by the Spirit can say yes and amen. And this is how Paul said it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So our natural experience in this world, the experience really in the flesh, is one of lack. We feel and we've grown up for years feeling separated from God, separated from the resources of heaven. And if we as believers take our understanding of God's will, our understanding of God's character, simply from that natural earthly experience, we're going to end up with a very limited understanding of the character of the Father. If you think about it, if Paul or Silas or James or Peter or any of those early apostles had taken their theology from their earthly experience, then after getting beaten up for the umpteenth time, they would have had to conclude that God was not always for them, and God was not always with them, and His will was not always yes and amen, but His will was yes and but. It would appear by natural observation that some weeks their prayers for protection were answered, and other weeks they were ignored. But yet Paul and Silas, as we see in Philippi in that jail, they were able to continue to worship God right the way through that beating in that jail because they were no longer drawing the revelation of who the Father was or His will from what was happening to them. They were drawing it from who was happening in them. That's a world of difference. They weren't living with their eyes anymore on the giants on sickness and death and poverty. Instead, their minds were set in the heavenly realm and they were living with their eyes set on the prize, the gift of how much had already been given to them. Christ and Him sat down. His Word established over them forever. And His Word to them quickened to them by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into their hearts. The Holy Spirit pouring the love of the Father into their hearts and quickening them so that they cried in their hearts, Abba, Father. They just knew in their knower that God was with them. They, they weren't the victim anymore of their circumstances. They didn't have to live complaining about what was happening to them because nothing could dissuade them that God was with them. 
Christ was in them, and that was by the Holy Spirit. So by His Spirit in them, they could see that in the worst moments of their life, when earthly vision could only say, you've been abandoned by God, forsaken by God, they could see that, in fact, they had already died and their lives were hidden with Christ in God. Praise God. So to see by the Spirit is to see that Christ has sat down concerning your life, that His Word on your life is established forever and does not change depending on your circumstances or your performance. And you know, in Acts 16, when we read of that one terrible day when Paul and Silas had seen nothing go right that day from being beaten, from being stripped in public, from being thrown into that jail, falsely accused, left for dead. You know, thousands of people in that city that night went to bed believing that Paul and Silas were mistaken in their beliefs and that it was obvious to anybody who could see that God had abandoned them. But I want to tell you, that day wasn't over yet. It wasn't quite midnight. Praise God. And that's why no matter how many people I lay hands on for healing and do not see healed, I refuse to drop my head out of the heavenly realm onto the natural realm and have my vision limited by the things that I'm seeing, the earthly appearance. I cannot deny what I have seen. I cannot deny that I have seen, that I've seen a glimpse of that that heavenly realm, I have seen that Christ has sat down. I have seen that his opinion has been fixed forever. He's established that opinion. He has given us everything that we need. Please God, it has pleased the Father to give us his Son and to give us the kingdom. That's what Jesus has said. It has pleased him to give us the kingdom. To see by the eyes of the Spirit is to see what has been given, to see that nothing has been withheld from us. So, so what then, if in fact the day is far through, and the whole city looks at us and believes that God has abandoned us. How can we deny what we have seen? Why should we lower our vision and live like mere men from our earthly experience? After all, church, it isn't quite midnight yet. There is coming a day when the kingdom of God will be seen on the earth. And we have that privilege to be people who live from there today, people who are calling that day forth even by our very lives. We are. Uh, trumpeters really in the vanguard calling forth the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. That's how Jesus sent out the 70 to proclaim that onto the earth. Please God. So until then, we must not be surprised that spiritual things appear as foolishness to this world because the Lord has always been pleased to save men through the foolishness of the gospel. You see, to see by the Spirit is to see that your word, Lord, has been established forever firm in the heavenlies. Do you know who wrote that? That shepherd boy, David. That's Psalm 119, verse 89. That shepherd boy who turned up to this battle with, with Goliath, he turns up saying something completely different because he has turned up seeing something completely different. He's seeing by the Spirit that God is with us. And for 40 days, Saul had only been seeing through natural vision. Natural vision couldn't see past the size of Goliath. With natural vision, you can quote scripture. You can say, the Lord is with us. But you know what? If Saul had really believed that, he would have gone out to fight Goliath himself. Natural vision can't see past the great lack. Spiritual vision can't see past the great provision. God is with us. Everyone else in that battlefield couldn't see past the size of Goliath. David couldn't see past the size of God. Praise God. Now, I have a question for you this morning. How did that happen? 
How does someone develop that sort of vision? How do we grow in our capacity to see by the Spirit? How does such vision develop? Well, you know, that was exactly the question that King Saul said to David in that tent, was it not? When he questioned David, he was saying, in fact, how do you see like that? Uh, how do you see past the size of Goliath to see the size of God? And what I want to show you this morning is the answer that David gave, because he immediately began to speak about his experience of proving God while he was all alone. He proved God in a place where there were no natural resources. Do you remember we just read, David began to speak about the time he went up against the bear and the lion. And in both those occasions, there was no one with him. In other words, it was in the wilderness. It was in the place of no natural resources that David learned to see by the Spirit, to look by faith and see a greater reality than the size of the need. He learned to see the size of the provision of God as more than enough for every need. It was in the lonely place, the place where there is no resources, that David learned to say this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Praise God. And so as we're talking about us as believers, as the church, growing more and more to see by the Spirit, I want to bring a, a great word of encouragement to you in this present season of pandemic, this present season of darkness. I want to tell you that it is exactly in the wilderness season that the Lord raises up prophets. In other words, He trains us to see, in fact, to see beyond the great lack, to see the great provision. It is in the wilderness that we are trained to see in the dark. After all, if you remember, is that not where we first caught a glimpse of the kingdom of God? Is that not where we first had an encounter with Him? When we got to a place in our lives where we cried out and said, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I haven't got enough anymore. I just can't do this. And in that moment, heard the whisper of the Spirit say, that's right, I didn't ask you to do it. I've waited for you to come to the end of yourself that I will show you what I have done. Praise God. That's our experience. We discovered once that it was in our season of weakness that we were most strong in Him. And that's why in this present season of lack, in this pandemic, when so much is apparently being stripped away from us, this is a great time for our vision to be trained up again as to how to see not by the natural senses, but to see by the Spirit. Now, last week I used a phrase to describe this Spirit-given ability to see into the heavenly realm. We called it the ability to see in the dark and to see that the great provision has already been given to us in Christ. Everything we need has already been given. So let's call that seeing in the dark. And whatever dark times the world is in, the church has been given the spirit that we would be people who would see in the dark because we see by heavenly light. We see by a heavenly revelation, praise God, that Christ and Him crucified means that God's provision, which is His presence, has been freely given and is now freely available to us in every situation, in every season, God with us, Emmanuel. So let's come back to this question. How? How does God train our eyes to see in the dark, to see provision where there appears to be no provision? Well, let me ask you a question. If you walked out in the middle of the night, out of a brightly lit house and into the darkness of the night, what would you do to make your eyes able to see better in the dark? What would you do? I would say the answer is that you would do nothing but wait in the dark long enough, because if you wait in the dark long enough, your eyes will become accustomed, adapted to the dark. So how does the Lord train us to see in the dark? You can't train eyes to see in the dark 
who have never been in the dark long enough to see through it. I'll say that again. You can't train eyes to see in the dark who have never been in the dark long enough yet to see through it. God is not the author of darkness. The Apostle John wrote, in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, I'm going to send you some trouble to teach you a lesson. But he did say to them, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart because right in the midst of this darkness you're going to be able to see the light. The light cannot be extinguished by the darkness. The light overcomes the darkness. So Jesus didn't promise to take his disciples out of the trouble, but he did promise them that they would see through it. You can't train eyes to see in the dark who've never been left in the dark long enough to see through it. So spiritually speaking, of course, darkness is the absence of light, absence of the light of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his provision and the knowledge of his presence. So David was left alone in the wilderness looking after sheep all by himself long enough to see that he wasn't alone. He was there long enough to discover that God was with him. He learned to see in the dark. He learned to see through his great lack to see God's greater provision, God's presence with him. And by the time he arrived at that battle with Goliath, his eyes were accustomed to seeing in the dark, to the apparent absence of God, to see through that dark, to see a greater reality, the presence of God as all the provision he needed, God with him. So. Even Jesus, you know, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, the place of lack, for 40 days. And when the enemy tried to bring his attention to it, to get him to look at the lack, look at how hungry you are, look at how weak you are, Jesus saw right through that darkness. And he said, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that keeps proceeding from the mouth of the Father. You know, so often we think, Lord, it would be better if you only took me out of this trouble, take me out of this wilderness experience, and I'd be stronger for you in the place of abundance. But in the end, you know, we will all only be as strong as what we see. We can all only be as strong as what we see. The truth is that the first Adam, he was in a paradise of natural provision in the Garden of Eden. But that natural provision couldn't help him see through the darkness of the lie that God was withholding himself from him. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he was in the desert when the same lie was put to him and he saw right through it. The Apostle Paul, you know, as he looked back over his life, he remembered a time in Asia when things were so dark in the natural that his life looked like God had abandoned him. And in fact, he was convinced at that time that he was about to die. But he recorded in 2 Corinthians 1.9 that he came to see something in that dark place. Let me read you what he said. We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in a God who raises the dead. Can you hear what he's saying? You can't train eyes to see in the dark who've never been in the dark long enough to see through it. Let me close with one more example. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 70 disciples. He sends them out to bring to towns and cities the announcement of a great provision, the kingdom of God, a reality greater than the present reality of sickness and death. <clears throat> he says, in, in effect, to his disciples, I'm going to equip you to do more than just announce this reality. You're going to manifest this reality. You're going to reveal it. Through your lives, this reality, the provision of the kingdom of God, will appear on the earth. Because when you're received into a home, you're going to heal the sick in that house. 
and you're going to declare to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, those 70 disciples, they saw great miracles, and we read that they came back rejoicing. But I want to bring your attention to how Jesus prepared them to speak in such a way, to speak of the Spirit, to speak words that appeared like foolishness to the natural earthly experience, but words that caused the kingdom of God to manifest on the earth. He didn't do it by sending them out laden down with natural provision. Instead, we read in Luke 10 that he sent them out stripped of natural provision. In his own words, he sent them out as lambs among wolves. He told them to set out with no money, no bag, no shoes, no staff, and they weren't even to speak to anyone along the way. Can you see what he was doing? He was preparing them for ministry in the same way he was prepared, by walking in a place where there is no natural visible provision. He was requiring them to walk with their hope of provision, not in bread alone, but in every word being spoken, his very promises to them. That was to be their provision. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. He wanted them to taste for themselves the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit before they opened their mouths to declare of it. He wanted them to see for themselves before they spoke of it, the kingdom of God. And he knew they would only be as strong as what they could see. He wanted them to walk out into the darkness of a world that can only see the great need and see through that darkness to the greater provision. So that by the time they arrived at a city to speak, they would speak with an authority that only those who can see by the Spirit can speak of. For only by the Spirit comes the vision to see that all you need has already been given in Christ. You can't train eyes to see in the dark who have never been in the dark long enough to see through it. Whatever dark season you're in right now, I declare to you that there is a truth, there is a light that overcomes the darkness, a truth that enables you to see through the darkness. Christ is that truth. Christ and him sat down over your life, his presence forever given to you. God wants you to see that light, that truth, for he knows that when you see of it, you will speak of it. And when you speak of it, your words will be, be like light in the darkness. He will use your words to bring light into the darkness of this world, praise God, so that other people will see by the light that you're seeing by. They will see through the darkness, the ignorance of this world, the enormity of what has been given, Christ, all things in Christ. To see by the Spirit is to see God with us. And that is why the mindset on the Spirit is, is life and peace. The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. What is it that the Lord would have you and I then as His church to be saying in this present season, to be saying in this dark hour? What are we to say right now in response to all the things that we see around us? Well, you know what? We can only say what we see, for we can only all be as strong as what we see. What we must speak of in this generation is what has been spoken in the dark now for 2,000 years. I will let the Apostle Paul tell us by finishing with his words from Romans 8, words that describe what he was seeing in the dark. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, how shall he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. 
Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or virus? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God bless you. Well, thank you for listening today and for watching. If something you heard resonated with you today, if you felt God speak to you today and you want to get in touch, please feel free to do that. You can do that through the platforms of YouTube and Facebook. Go to River City Church Ireland or email us at info at rivercityapostolic.org. God bless you.